You're listening to Policy Currents, a weekly podcast from the Rand Corporation. I'm Deanna Lee. And I'm Evan Banks. Every Friday, we bring you new insights from Rand's latest research and commentary. It's October 2nd. As election season progresses, Russia may again be attempting to manipulate and divide Americans. Rand researchers examine this threat in a new report. They find that Moscow's recent efforts are based largely on strategies developed by the Soviet Union during the Cold War. However, new technology and the rise of social media have made it easier for Russia to implement its propaganda campaigns. Russia's online activity focuses on exacerbating discord around already divisive issues, such as racial inequities and immigration. It also targets confidence in democratic institutions and processes as a way to undermine social trust. Russia uses falsehoods to spread confusion, drive people to extreme positions, and generate collective exhaustion in the U.S. Here's lead author Merrick Posard explaining something called reflexive control theory, a way of viewing the world that informs several of Russia's tactics. We believe that the intellectual basis for current Russian information efforts targeting U.S. elections is guided in part by reflexive control theory, where they're trying to amplify pre-existing conflict and fault lines within our society. At its core, reflexive control theory assumes that there's conflict between groups of people. And what the Russians are trying to do is push out content that can exaggerate these pre-existing conflicts that may exist. And that's why there's been news reports of Russian trolls targeting Black Lives Matter groups online, as well as white nationalist groups online. The ultimate goal is political paralysis. As Posard mentions, Moscow's ultimate goal is to further polarize Americans and paralyze the U.S. political process. But there are ways to respond. The best defense against Russian disinformation is a holistic approach that accounts for pre-existing fault lines in American society. You can find the full report on RAND.org. This analysis is the first in a series exploring online foreign interference in U.S. elections. So we'll be bringing you more on this important topic later this year. Americans' drinking has increased sharply during the COVID-19 shutdown. That's according to a new RAND study, which provides some of the first survey-based information about increased alcohol consumption in the U.S. Compared with the same time last year, overall alcohol consumption among adults over age 30 is up by 14%. It's also higher within certain groups. There is an increase of 17% among women, 19% among adults ages 30 to 59, and 10% among non-Hispanic white individuals. And heavy drinking among women, defined as four or more drinks within a couple of hours, has increased by 41%. Alcohol consumption can have significant negative health consequences, so this information suggests another way that the pandemic may be affecting the physical and mental health of Americans. The findings also highlight a need to examine whether increases in alcohol use persist as the pandemic continues, and how that may affect people's well-being. During the COVID-19 economic recession and recovery, Black workers are once again being left behind. 
Rand economist Jacova Williams broke down the data this week on the Rand blog. While a similar rate of black and white workers were permanently laid off when the pandemic began, a higher percentage of white workers remained employed. Then, as businesses began to reopen, the white unemployment rate fell quickly, dropping to 7.3% by August. For black workers, it was 13%. This disparity echoes patterns of past recessions, says Williams. During the Great Recession, for example, black workers' unemployment rate increased to double digits and remained that high for more than six years. Ultimately, it took more than 10 years for black workers' incomes to return to their pre-recession levels. The unemployment rate among white workers never reached double digits during the Great Recession or the recovery that followed. This explains why the numbers we're seeing now are so troubling. If the past is any guide, getting back into a job later rather than sooner could harm the incomes and wealth accumulation of millions of black Americans for years to come. Earlier this year, the pandemic forced nearly all of America's schools to quickly transition to remote instruction. To learn more about how prepared schools were before COVID-19 hit, Rand conducted a national survey of principals. Specifically, we asked principals whether their schools had undertaken five practices, providing laptops or tablets to, at a minimum, students in need training teachers on delivering online instruction, using a learning management system, providing fully online or blended learning courses, and establishing plans to deliver instruction during a prolonged school closure. 84% of principals said that their school had at least one of these five preparedness indicators in place before the pandemic, but only 7% reported having all five. Notably, schools were most likely to have provided students with devices, and they were least likely to report having a plan for a prolonged school closure. Insights such as these can help paint a fuller picture of what's needed to ensure equitable access to high-quality instruction during the COVID-19 crisis. That's why it will be important to continue to document schools' practices over the coming months. Two U.S. companies, Oracle and Walmart, are aiming for ownership stakes in TikTok. If the deal goes through, Chinese parent company ByteDance would no longer hold a majority share of the popular video sharing app. Not all of the details of the proposed deal are public, and it's unclear what will happen next. But according to RAND experts, for this or any deal to pass government scrutiny, and to fully protect the data of U.S. TikTok users, two key vulnerabilities must be addressed. First, there are front-door vulnerabilities. These occur when a bad actor installs malicious code through a software update. A backdoor vulnerability, on the other hand, is malware in the original source code. Such hidden code could potentially copy user data and transmit it to an unauthorized outsider. In the case of TikTok, the worry has been that user data could be transmitted to the Chinese government. To lock both the back doors and front doors of TikTok, it would need to be confirmed that the app does not contain any commands or processes that would send U.S. user data to China or any unauthorized servers. If this doesn't happen, then TikTok's time in the U.S. might be up. 
Tabletop games are widely used by defense strategists to explore how one armed force might match up against another, but they usually don't account for the bigger picture. That's why RAND experts created Hegemony, a new kind of strategic game. Now that's Hegemony spelled with a D, as in hedge. Here are the game developers, RAND's Michael Linick and former RAND researcher Yuna Wong, explaining why. We were talking with a bunch of players one time, and they made the observation that um, that for the U.S. player in the game, the way we'd sort of designed it, which was our vision of how the U.S. actually plays in the world, the U.S. is essentially a status quo power, and that the world is driven by this tremendous amount of uncertainty. When you face a tremendous amount of uncertainty, the best sort of way to deal with it is what's called a hedging strategy. The game does sort of force you to take on hedging strategies against what might happen in the future and how um, the future might develop. And also, uh, hegemony without the D is from, you know, in political science, hegemonic stability theory. And the hegemon is the sort of the strongest country in the globe and tends to enforce like a, an order. That sort of was the, the germ of the idea is we're not trying to go out and become a world hegemon with no D. What we're trying to do is to devise a strategy that allows us to hedge against all this uncertainty with a D, and so that was where the name Hegemony came from. In Hegemony, players represent either the U.S. Department of Defense, NATO, and the European Union, or Russia, China, North Korea, and Iran. Every game begins with a specific scenario, and players then develop their strategies and spend the game trying to execute those plans. During a turn, each of which represents about one year, players must make tough choices about how to use their resources. For example, they might have to decide whether to procure new forces, modernize existing forces, or improve a specific capability. The players can choose to cooperate or not, but the ultimate goal is to gain more influence than their competitors in a certain region or throughout the world. Visit rand.org slash hegemony, with a D, to learn more about why the game was developed and how it's played. You can even purchase a copy of the game for yourself. RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision-making through research and analysis. For more on what we covered this week, check the show notes at rand.org slash podcast. We'll see you next week.